Welcome everybody to another episode of Be Brown Bag. Uh, I'm super excited today. I have Britton Johnson and Aaron Boldhouse, and we're going to talk about preparing to deploy NSX, which is one of my favorite topics. Um, some things to get out of the way, quick notes. If you want to get in on the conversation, we have all these Twitter handles, but I will be looking at the Twitter hashtag, hashtag Be Brown Bag. And we have all these channels for people around the world to attend. APEC, Brazil, EMEA, Latin, US, choose or attend several if you can. You, you, you can see me on, in the Latin channel, uh, Valdezers in the Brazil channel. We have Greg Robertson. You know, we have people all over the world, so it's always cool to do this. Um, this is an episode celebrating Wisconsin, I think. I even left the picture for my good old friend, Captain Hook, over here. But these two guys, I met them last week. They're phenomenal guys, so I'm really proud to be hosting them. Um, I will switch over presenter over now to Britain, but and while I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Sounds good. All right. Do you have my screen? Yes, I do. Yep. All right. Good. So let me back up here. Um, so here's my two button pull bullet point agenda slide. We will identify the components to stand up NSX. We will answer some questions. That is all. Uh, I am Britton Johnson. I am the owner and consultant of my own company, Gigabrit LLC in the Madison, Wisconsin area. Um, I'm a two-time V expert. Aaron outranks me, but that's okay. Um, I have a bunch of letters after my name. Uh, I have a blog, sort of, and a podcast I do with a friend of mine, Tony Reeves. And we just had a really awesome episode with Mr. Jason McCarty on some vSAN stuff. So if you want to learn about vSAN, go listen to the podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitters at VCIXNV. And Aaron, I will let you introduce yourself. Thank you, Britton. Uh, my name is Aaron Bolthouse. I'm the manager of IT infrastructure for Hatco Corporation, a mid-level manufacturer out of Wisconsin. I'm also a Wisconsin vMug co-leader. Uh, and as Britton said, a four-time V-expert. I have a uh, also somewhat blog at vramblings.com, and you can find me on Twitter at vhouse563. All right, cool. So um, Aaron, uh, full disclosure, um, I helped Aaron's company, Hatcode, deploy NSX in their environment, and as we were running through that, um, we, you know, had to do all this stuff on the front end to talk about, you know, standing up NSX and get the, before we even before we ever got to the point of deploying the first appliance in the in the stack. We had like three or four meetings to just talk about what needed to do to have to get there. And as we kind of got through this, I'm just like, you know, I've not seen a lot of information out there for this, and so, you know, let's let's do a maybe we can do a, a V Brown bag on this and talk about what it takes to get there, because um, it's just not super simple. So why prepped for a software product? And, and as I was running through this, this quote from the awesome movie Mystery Men popped into my head, because NSX is a paradigm shifting product. You can try to deploy it without preparing. You'll have some maybe some success. But before you can properly run NSX in production, you're going to have to teach your, your old network a few new tricks. And you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it, and you know, to uh, 
to get this install going and really none of these things are really optional. Um, so that's where we're going. Um, and then, like I said, I haven't seen anybody really do a whole lot of information about how to get this stuff done beforehand. So, it, you know, this, this, the, uh, the short answer of, sorry. I was going to say, we sure figured out that it's uh, quite a long list. Yes, it's, it's a huge list. And so this is just, you know, the quick drive-by animation slide of everything that we have to do in order to get NSX rolling. So it's by no means a, uh, you know, a just click and get it done task. So step number one, network discovery. Um, this is something that you, pr that, you know, most companies probably should do annually if you're not already anyways. Um, a network discovery, a good network discovery does, you know, some, some really key things to point out, you know, security holes in your environment, you know, and, and a lot of times you just don't know what's in your network until you actually look for it. Um, and as, as sysadmins, especially in smaller environments, you're putting out fires all the time. You don't have the, you know, maybe you don't have tools that are constantly watching your network for you. Um, so it's a good practice to get into of just ro roll out, you know, roll around and look and see what's plugged in. You know, I, I like to say don't actually rely on software tools to tell you what's there. You know, do some looking. Make sure you don't have old legacy stuff plugged in from three upgrades ago. Um, I've seen that in a lot of places where um, you'll do a Wi-Fi access upgrade and there'll be still an access point plugged in some closet somewhere that somebody forgot about that doesn't have a password on the Wi-Fi. And, you know, you'll spill with you know, come across some weird stuff. So, Aaron, did we find anything interesting when we went through your discovery? Uh, so not from, like, a uh, perspective like that where, you know, you were talking about having, um, like, surprise equipment in the, uh, in the network, but we did discover some interesting things about some edge switches that may not have been upgraded as often as they needed to, um, a core switch that uh, had some a DHCP server on it that we didn't really realize was serving that. Uh, so, you know, we did find some surprises uh, that we just are things that got built up over time that didn't get documented. So, you know, you you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, we did that three years ago. I totally forgot we did that. Yeah, and I, and I think that's part for the course whenever you're doing this kind of a deployment is, you know, you especially – you know, if you're the guy who does everything, if you're wearing all the hats, um, it's easy to forget about this stuff because, yeah, you did it a couple of years ago. Or, you know, even if you haven't been in the company very long, maybe, third, you know, three P admins before you put something in never told anybody about it. So Right. And at HACO, you know, we certainly wear all the hats. So that's... <laughs> so it's not just a clever name. <laughs> Take that for what you want. <laughs> So step number two, rolling through this year, and is enable jumbo frames. And this is a biggie. Um, so jumbo frames is needed to be enabled on all server access switches, or if you're fancy enough to be running a spine and leaf network, you know, leaf switches and, and your core switches or your spine switches. Um, basically, anything that a, that a VMware host needs to plug into to talk to another VMware host has to have jumbo frames on it in order for NSX to work. Um, VXLAN is a network overlay technology, network packet overlay technology. So it adds bits to each Ethernet TCP frame. 
And if Jumbo Frames isn't enabled, VXLAN frames won't be read by the network and you won't be able to talk between the net, between stuff. Um, so it's it's pretty, this is probably like your minimum requirement as long, if, especially if you're going to be using VXLAN. I, I should note, um, and I, we'll cover this a little bit later too, but you know, not all NSX versions um, come with VXLAN as a uh, licensed add-on. Um, I think it's advanced and higher. Um, the standard NSX deployment for NSX standard does not include it. So, you know, if you're doing it on the, the lowest level, you don't have to worry about it. But it's, I, I think if you're going to do NSX, you may as well turn this on in your network if it's not already on anyways, just because, you know, if at some point you want to turn it on, that way it's done. You don't, in a lot of switches, you have to actually go through a reboot process. Um, in order to fully enable it. And so it's, you know, it's a maintenance window operation typically when you do this. Um, we did not have to do that in your environment in Hacko, if I recall correctly, Aaron. Correct. The uh, vendor that we use uh, can do it on a by-port basis, and it's just a configuration push, no no downtime. And, yeah. and, you know, one thing I wanted to say about Jumbo Frames, too, is it can sound scary. Like, it can sound like a big deal to do. Um, but if you think about it as in... Um, you know, just a capacity standpoint, you can still put small frames through jumbo frames. You can't yep. put jumbo frames through small frames. So turning this up uh, in your existing environment really doesn't have a negative impact yep. other than if your switch requires you to, you know, perform an outage. So if you're, if you're even thinking about NSX, uh, you know, or any other technology, that might add more than your normal 1500 uh, MTU uh, frame size, then you should be looking at turning on jumbo frames anyway. Yeah, so it's it's definitely not a we have bad a thing. <laughs> yes, Ariel. Yeah, we run by attendees are very frank, so they're like, okay, guy, give us the switch vendor name. <laughs> now, if you don't want to, you can give us just the first Juniper. letter. There you go. Juniper. Juniper. <laughs> Oh, and yes. since I interrupted you guys, will you guys talk about the commands to test Jumbo frames? Uh, I mean, if that's not. going to depend. Uh, uh, that, uh, as far as commands on the switch goes, that's going to depend on a per vendor situation. So what about on the hosts, on the hosts, you really don't have to do anything per se on the host. This is just on the networking side, um, specifically. When we, we, I mean, if your if your hosts. Um, if your host network adapters are are, you, I think you have to manually set them to a, a lower level. I don't think we actually had to do anything on the host, if I recall correctly, Aaron, in your environment, anyways. We didn't have to do anything on the host, but I think what Ariel is talking about is uh, testing to see if Jumbo Frames is functioning all the way through the network, and there are um, there are uh, different um, yeah. VMK thing types, yeah. yeah, that you can use to test to see if your entire uh, jumbo frame is, is available. Oh, um, right, and so, right. uh, you know, yeah. yeah, to do network testing, I, I did do that uh, in our initial um, rollout of jumbo frames, but after that I kind of just trusted the fact that if it says it in the configuration, it's doing it. Yeah, it, it's and I, that's sort of been my take on it as well. Like anytime I've run through this with a client or with you know in any sort of a deployment with NSX is, you know, I've really just trusted the switch vendor 
that once it tells me that it's you know enabled, then I go just go with it and show that it's enabled. If for some reason um, something's not working post, once we get further into the line, then I would look at it. But generally speaking, I've not ever had an issue where it was turned on and then something else you know wasn't being passed correctly. So here's another question. And remember, you know, you, you're going to get a lot of questions like this, so be patient. Uh, does NSX require a 10 gig uplink? No. No, I don't have 10 gig uh, in the environment at this point. We have, uh, we've done, and we'll talk about this later, but LACP um, link aggregate ports. And other than that, uh, I have everything else running through uh, yep. one gig. Yeah. So the only time that you really would ever need 10 gig is if you just had that much bandwidth requirement in your environment um, where you're, where you're just pushing huge amounts of data through. Um, and I think in general, you know, especially I think in a lot of environments, 10 gig is still sort of the standard when it comes to, you know, data connectivity for like SANS and vSAN and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when it comes to general, you know, host networking, you know, gigabit still works. And LACP is a way that you can add a little bit to that. And we'll get into that in a second. So step three, as we kind of roll through, this is sort of a lot of this is kind of duh, basic stuff, right? But, you know, firmware updates. Um, and the specifically when I'm talking firmware updates, I mean the Ethernet adapters on your hosts should have their firmware up to date with whatever um, the VMware HCL. HCL says is what you should have. Because uh, essentially, if for some reason you run into an issue post NSX deployment and you need to contact GSS for support, um, on their checklist of things to check immediately is the firmware that your, your network adapters are running to make sure that it's supported. Um, because if it's on some other version that has not been tested by VMware, then that flags it in their system and that they'll make you, you know, maintenance mode the host, update the firmware, and it's a huge hassle. So if, if you can get this done at the outset, it's a really, you know, one box ticked for later tech support calls if you need it. You know, it'll save you some time, basically. Um, all your switches should be updated to the latest stable release. That's sort of general best practice, I think, as well. Um, you know, there was, I think I just heard something this week that there was some sort of a Cisco vulnerability that was found on Cisco switches that weren't updated. Um, so, you know, it's, I think I know a lot of people in, in smaller networks, especially who don't have a dedicated network team. Um, it's really easy to treat these things like a refrigerator, just plug it in and never touch it. Um, but, you know, that's, it, it, when, you're, when you're rolling through a deployment like NSX, you've got to have this stuff up to snuff. Um, otherwise, you're, you're, you're just asking for trouble at some point. Um, if you're replacing switches in, in this process beforehand, um, and if you, have, if you have the resources, get ones that support VXLAN natively. Um, because uh, what that allows you to do is you can sort of offload some of the host-to-host -host communication resource to the switch directly, and you know the the switch kind of knows how to pay, how to pass traffic natively for the VXLAN tunnels that you set up in NSX. Um, so it's it's sort of the next level of um, support. Not a lot of switch vendors have it today, but more and more and more and more are adding it. Um, Aaron, we I know you said you found some stuff that you had to update, but and I know there was some stuff you could and some stuff you couldn't. 
Um, was there any gotchas that you saw or ran through when we were trying to update things? Uh, I mean, nothing outside of nothing NSX specific. You know, you you get switches that are so far behind, and you have to hop firmware. Uh, you can't jump right from one version of firmware to another. Uh, yep, yep. Specifically on our vendor, um, you, I think, if you're a full version behind, you have to hop three to five times depending on uh, what releases came out in that version. So, um, you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah, it's uh, it's an issue for sure, but you know, it's good. All right. Uh, vSphere updates. So kind of the next level of this is making sure the hosts are fully patched and you know, make sure your vCenter is up to date. And, you know, it's because NSX is a vCenter um, dependent product, um, at, at least NSX for vSphere, I should specify, is a and it's, it's a vCenter dependent product. It's really good to make sure you're on the the latest current release of vCenter. And if you're not migrated to the vCSA, um, it's a great time to migrate to the vCenter appliance before you do this, just to get rid of that Windows box and have things you know all run through the appliance. Um, NTP uh, or network network time is a big one not to miss. I mean, it's required for a lot of VMware components to have it running, but Basically, the NSX manager won't start or run properly if it doesn't have access to, to an NTP server immediately. Um, so that's, you know, time sync in networking is super critical, um, especially for NSX. The vSphere standard switches and distributed virtual switches. So um, obviously NSX does majority of its stuff in the distributed virtual switch. Um, in early versions of NSX, you couldn't do anything with the vSphere standard switch, but you can do some things with vSphere standard switch port groups now. Um, it's still not recommended. Um, the distributed virtual switch, it, you know, it, it uh, configuring this, I'm sure probably has been a vBrown bag by itself. Um, if it's not, it could, if it hasn't ever been, it could be. Um, if you're not licensed, if you're running the old uh, the vSphere standard or enterprise, you were not uh, licensed for the distributed virtual switch until you get up to Enterprise Plus. Um, however, if you buy NSX, they give you the rights to install a distributed virtual switch on one of those lesser versions. So it... Uh, in, in short, you know, you got to do the migration in this part of this process, and so you have to do it, do it early, and do it, you know, now, um, because you'll 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 save yourself, you know, configuration trouble later on, and plus, once you go through this process, you get access to some other cool features. So, Aaron, was there anything you ran into? when you were migrating services over, like I, I think we talked about it and then I followed back up with you and you're like, oh, it's done. So yeah. Uh, for the most part, it wasn't a big problem. Uh, one thing I found out is you don't want to migrate when you get to the point where you're migrating VMs from uh, the VSS to the DBS. Um, vCenter is really picky. And if it can't, if it misses a, a ping uh, during that migration, it can hose up some things pretty 
pretty badly. Uh, so make sure that vCenter has a DNS server that it can contact uh, the whole time while you're doing the migration of vCenter into the DBS. Uh, and make sure that you don't accidentally orphan any of your management VMKs for your hosts because you can do that and then you can lose connection to your host. And if it's already in the DBS inside the host configuration, then you also cannot change the, uh, the management port on your host to recover it. So um, GSS can get a little... Uh, it can get a little uh, magical back in, yeah. in the back end, but yeah. yeah. So there's these things called ephemeral port groups uh, that you can create, right? Um, and I have one set up so that my yeah. uh, vCenter is in a DBS, but it's in an ephemeral port group in a DBS, which is accessible from uh, the, host. the host DCUI and the host uh, GUI. Yeah. And, and and that's sort of the tricky part of of migrating some of the stuff over is when you move those v those v v oh my gosh I'm so tired I can't I'm losing the the uh, <laughs> I'm losing the uh, the acronyms um, the VNIX <laughs> help me Aaron <laughs> come on Aaron we'll help him yeah <laughs> uh, uh, if I, if, I, if I sound a little off, it's because 50% of the people in my family are sick right now, and so it was a long night last night. Um, well, you know, essentially, you know, when you're moving to a, a, a DBS, you have a couple of different pieces, right? You have the, yeah. the physical NICs that you're tying into uplinks. You have the VM kernels. You have the VMs themselves. Uh, so my suggestion is always have a way back. Um, don't move too much at once and, you know, make sure that you're, you're not, um, moving yourself into a situation you can't back out yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. Don't paint yourself into a corner, I guess. Right. Is the, the exactly. Way to get yeah. Exactly. I would even add that most people should be, if you have the licenses for it, you should be using the DBS just for port, um, uh, for load based teaming and for ease of configuration. So. Don't wait sure. until NSX comes to actually try this out and see how it can work. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, I think a lot of people fall into staying on the standard switches just because they're easy. Um, but, well, it's like all networking, like you were talking yeah. about, right? You plug in a switch, it works. It's, you said it's like a refrigerator. Yeah. You set up a, v, a VSS, it works. Why? Why do you need to do anything to it? Yeah. So, although, although today's refrigerators, you probably have to do firmware updates on. Well, yeah, they can tweet, right? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So next, after you get everything migrated into your distributed virtual switch, you can then get the fun times of enabling LACP. Um, uh, LACP is one of these technologies that, um, if you do a lot of reading online about it, it seems like it's it's sort of a divisive thing in technology, which which that never happens, right? Everybody always agrees about everything. Um, but the general thing is, is like if you're using it for, like you can't use LACP for data-backed services like iSCSI. Um, iSCSI doesn't play well with LACP. Um, but for general networking traffic, um, it, it, you know, it bundles a whole bunch of individual ports together as an aggregate. So you get speed benefit and redundancy benefit. 
So if you don't have that 10 gig backend on your network, um, you can enable ICP in your port groups and, you know, take a bunch of physical one gig ports. And I think Aaron, in your environment, we've basically created a bunch of uh, four gigabit and two gigabit port channels. Correct. Um, most switch vendors won't let you go above eight. Um, that's like the max number you can do because at some point um, you're well, you 10 gig. Well, there's that, but, but <laughs> it, there's that, but then the, the limit, the bandwidth limitation suddenly becomes the switch itself because your switch can only pass so, so many packets at once. Um, so if you were actually maxing out all eight of those ports, then you're probably going to start to max out the total throughput of the switch itself. Pretty, That's pretty why quick. you get a Juniper, man. Yeah. One gig total throughput to each port. Yeah. So, well, you know, if, if you're running, if you're running on the cheap, then, then you don't get that benefit. <laughs> but so it's, it's another one of these things where, you know, you, when you configure the distributed virtual switch, there's some gotchas in that configuration. And that's, you know, um, uh, resources to look for like the, the DVS. Like when I first ran through some stuff, I, I found a video series from Chris Wall when he, he did some other some stuff on his blog about setting up distributed virtual switch. So he's got good stuff out there. Um, I'm sure there, Ariel, do you know if there was ever a V Brown bag on D, DVS setup or not? So there's, there's definitely some of them where it covers either the, the VCP study guide or the VCP NV study guide. And we also have not, not just V Brown bag, but you also have the VMworld sessions that, um, okay. You know that other people have done, just like you mentioned, Chris Wall, yeah, and, and Jason Nash. So there's yeah, a, lot of, I, a lot of information for it. Yeah, and I think I think for people to look at, like I think Scott Lowe had something on LACP in, um, in in setting that up with NSX as well. So I mean, there's a lot of the the more popular people who have really good blogs out there on some of this stuff have good resources for how to do this stuff, and they'll walk you through it. Um, and you. And you know, for and also, yeah, a tie back to Jason Nash. Um, thanks for thanks for reminding me of that, Ariel. Um, if you have a Plural Site subscription, go watch Jason Nash's NSX deployment series on Plural Site. Um, he literally steps through most of this um, in getting it stood up and turned on and running, um, and that's that's a really good resource to look at. Um, IGMP snooping and multicast. So um, you'll hear some talk about or read about this thing called bum traffic, which is broadcast, unicast, and multicast traffic, um, which is sort of the the way uh, traffic between the hosts is disseminated or communicating between them so that they can talk to each other over these things called uh, VTEPs or VXLAN tunnel endpoints. Um, and the the transport you, you, when you configure NSX, you set up these things called transport zones, um, and the transport zones are sort of uh, it's a software split between your hosts. So say you have um, a cluster of hosts that you want to be your management network, and you have a cluster of hosts for your accounting applications, and you have another cluster of hosts for research and development applications. And you want net, NSX networks to stretch across all three clusters. You would set up a global transport zone for that. 
I mean, if you wanted a, a transport zone for NSX traffic to only go to one of those clusters, you'd set up a specific transport zone just for that cluster. Um, and so it's, it's sort of a, another way to segment traffic physically between different clusters. And when you set up these transport zones, there's three different modes you can use um, when you set these up. It, you know, it's unicast, which is basically the it works everywhere technology. And then there's hybrid, which is um, a little bit of unicast, a little tiny bit of multicast. And then there's full on multicast mode. Um, the full-on multicast mode is the most efficient way to do it, but it requires the most amount of setup on the front end. Um, and so mo most places that I've seen this happen, you just do the hybrid mode, and the only real feature required for hybrid mode is IGMP snooping, which most switches have enabled by default, but not all. Um, and so that, that that's another one of the things, as you're going to go in through the list of jumbo frames and all this stuff, IGMP snooping is another box to check um, because it, it, depending upon the vendor, you may be running into a situation again where you have to reboot the, uh, the, the switch or the entire switch stack, um, depending upon your vendor. Um, that is that. The VLANs. Um, so... This is sort of a, another duh thing, but if you don't have a VLAN map for your physical network or for, you know, your network in general, make a VLAN map. Um, you know, it's it's something. If you have one for the physical environment, you're going to want to basically update it and include now plans for virtual networks. Um, you can do VLANs or VXLAN in, in NSX. Um, the nice thing about VXLAN is, you know, as you go into this, you know, when you set up a view, you will create one VLAN for VXLAN in your network. And if you go full VXLAN after that, that could potentially be the last VLAN you ever create, um, which is nice because if you're not a networking guy, you know, and you don't create VLANs all the time, you have to kind of pull it out of your head at the last minute when you forget how to do it. Um, like I have been known to do sometimes. Yeah, so, pull it out of your head. Right, Britain. <laughs> AKA Google. So, something tells me that he caused an outage in your company, Aaron. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, Britain was really good on this. He uh, he sat back and just told me where not to shoot myself in the foot. Yeah, I actually didn't do anything. I just sat there and told him what to do. But it was great. Probably the easiest paycheck you ever got. Yeah, it's, it's that, that was the nice part of it is just, yeah, I could just boss him around and give him a, a huge list of stuff to do, and I got, I got to go home at night. Nice. So. But... <laughs> but um, so, the, you know, as you're going through your VLAN mapping and VXLAN mapping, I mean, it's, it's kind of just this network planning exercise of, you know, making sure that you know where, you know what's going where. Um, and it's almost, it's not unlike doing the discovery, except now you're planning the discovery um, and where things should be going. So you just kind of have to be a little bit on the ball. And this is, you know, organization, being organized and thoughtless is not always the easiest thing for some IT people. Um, but it's a good exercise to get through. Uh, configure your subnets in DHCP. So here's sort of a gotcha scenario. So when you are setting up your uh, your hosts and they need to get you know IP addresses assigned to them for VXLAN or for the VTEPs, for the VXLAN tunnel endpoints, um, when you're creating basically each host will get a certain number of IPs added to them 
based on some requirements. And you know, I was, I, in one in one deployment where I came in sort of halfway through, they'd already started. Um, they ran out of IPs for their VTEPs because they got real fancy and they thought that they would only need a really small subnet. And so they took like part of a slash 24 and cut it down to like 12 IPs or 11 IPs. And because of the, the mode of VXLAN that they had to enable because of their switch backing and because of another, um, because of the, 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 the mode of the communication between those, the hosts, basically where the number of NICs on the hosts is the other factor. One host took 90% of the available IP addresses that they had to have carved out for their VXLAN tunnel endpoints. So when NSX prepared the hosts, only one of like eight hosts actually got prepared for NSX properly. The rest of them didn't get anywhere. So try not to get too fancy with this stuff. You know, I always pretty much tell people if you're setting up a subnet for any P any IP pool component of NSX. So when you set up this, you'll create these IP pools for the controllers appliances and you'll set up IP pools for the VX antenna endpoints. Um, you know, I would, in general, unless you're doing this in a huge scale, just give it a full slash 24 subnet, give it 254 addresses and just let it ride. Because if, you know, your company goes through a major expansion at some point, they may need that overhead. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you, you can't, you have to do it on the front end here because you can't easily go back and change it is the point. Um, if you don't have enough IPs in your, in your pools, um, you kind of have to, un, you know, you can have to put the peel back on the onion <laughs> in order to redo it. Um, and that's what I had to do in this other deployment I did. We actually had to unconfigure a whole bunch of stuff fix the IP pools and then reconfigure everything. So just don't be fancy about your subnets. VShield, this was fun, Aaron, right? Yeah, VShield's great. <laughs> so here's the big thing about VShield, and it's another one of these things that it's a refrigerator type of an appliance, right? So a lot of places like, like at Hacko, they had an antivirus vendor that was doing AV for their Horizon deployment. And so that's what you need VShield for. And now the problem is with VShield, it was now replaced or it has now been replaced by NSX Manager. So if in order to kind of keep the data that it's already retaining for running your antivirus application, you have to upgrade from VShield to NSX Manager. And as we learned uh, in this process, thankfully we, you know, I've done it. Enough, I've done it enough times now where I know back everything up as much as possible before you do anything. Um, this is actually probably should be step two after the discovery. But um, so, and you have to with these kind of with NSX Manager with VShield, you have to really use the built-in FTP backup. You can't necessarily rely on third-party backups. Um, and so, and and make sure you have also because sometimes these uh, admin login credentials or the, the requirements are really long. And so you have to, you know, keep good records 
of the logins for some of these appliances if you don't have that, which is another duh, but you know, it happens. So Aaron, what happened to VShield? We had some issues. Yeah, uh, we blew it up. <laughs> and uh, it stopped working and luckily we backed it up prior and then yeah. we had to go through and we had to redeploy VShield uh, with its uh, configuration back up in place in order to get the actual upgrade, upgrade. migration to occur. Yeah. We, we tried it initially after backing it up, of course, uh, because, you know, we try not to shoot ourselves in the foot too hard. And yeah. uh, it, it just kind of seized and, and stopped working. And then uh, we got to a point where it was called GSS or uh, delete it and recreate it, and we decided it was easier to delete it and recreate it, which it was. I don't know. That took all 45 minutes. And uh, yeah. we got and, it back up and running, and, and then we did the migration. And in the and in, while we were waiting for that to happen, we also side by side deployed NSX Manager in a fresh install. Um, yes. Just to be on the safe side, if we got down the path, we're just like, well, if we can't restore the V Shield, if the backup didn't work, then we'll just start fresh with a brand new NSX Manager installation, and we'll fix the antivirus after the fact. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not a total, you know, you're dead in the water scenario. It's just sort of a, you know be safe as you do it kind of a system. So, I mean, the funny part is, is that after we upgraded uh, from VShield NSX Manager, it totally changed how our antivirus talks and is configured to talk to that piece of the puzzle anyway. So mm -hmm. we ended up having to rebuild that whole uh, connection from the antivirus vendor side anyway. Yeah. So, but well, we, did, but we didn't know that beforehand either. No. Absolutely not. Of course not. Why would we have known that beforehand? Who said all, who that in documentation? Yeah, yeah. And all they all they told us was that, oh, yeah, sure, it'll work. Yeah, it'll work great. <laughs> Call them. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we support that. And then they yeah. had this knowledge-based article that told us how to do it. Yeah. Um, so kind of harping us still on backups. Um, uh, I, I haven't seen any documentation changes on this with the NSX 6.4, but basically... The third-party backups, like you know, Veeam or um, any other third-party backup solution, as far as I have, have been told and read and been aware, made aware, they are not technically recommended or supported for NSX components. Like yeah, have a bad time. Like the NSX controllers or NSX manager or any of that stuff. Um, if you lose one of those VMs. Basically, you have to redeploy it from a from a backup. You can't rely on restoring it from a, you know. Very similar to the VCSA. You know, yeah, you're yeah. you're uh, sitting there, you know, backing up the VCSA with something like a Veeam or a, a Druva or a backup exec or whatever. And uh, if you try to redeploy that that uh, backed up entire VM, it's always got problems with it. It's much better to pull the config off using the FTP or the HTTP uh, backup included inside the uh, inside the new VCSA interface and yep. and then deploying a recovery VCSA using the configuration. You're going to have a much better time. The same way that happens, this is how that's built as well. Yep. And, you know, a side note, like, I don't know if you've had this, Aaron, but I had recently, just in the last three months, two VCSAs just go belly up on me for no reason. And only one time did I have a backup to go back to. Um, I recently restored a VCSA myself, but I did it in a way 
uh, it was the method that I used to migrate my VCSA into a two-node Direct Connect vSAN. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So, so that's so that's sort of the moral of the story with these things: is make sure you've got you know a decent third, you know, SFTP or FTP backup solution where you could dump this stuff and have it on a schedule because things change in the environment um, and have it be automated. Yeah, I just built a FileZilla on a Windows box and I point everything to it and it works great. Yeah, and 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 I guess to con to to bring it full circle, you know, once you have it that data backed up there, then you can back that stuff up, you know, with a traditional backup vendor like Veeam or something like that. Um, but you uh, you can't do it out of the box. Back up your backups. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, the three two one rule. Um, so log insight, log insight. Uh, this is your homework assignment, everybody. If you're not running it, de go deploy it tomorrow. Um, you know, and if you and, own vCenter, you own log insight. Exactly. That is the mantra that we always say at the vMugs. You know, who owns a log insight? Everybody owns log, log insight. Um, and there is this really th cool thing that we just kind of discovered in this process um, of there's a NSX plugin for log insight. So NSX has a lot of areas where it can dump information to a traditional syslog server. And so as we were looking through this, we're just like, you know, where can we put some of this stuff? You know, if you don't have a syslog server, what do you do with it? Um, and, and log insight can actually take that data and give you cool stuff with it. So Aaron, how cool is log insight? Log insight is really cool. It has uh, the capability to kind of dig into anything from vCenter logs to ESXi uh, host logs to pretty much anything that you uh, want to point to it from a VMware perspective. If you're using the vCenter-based licensing, uh, it limits you on what other things you can add. You can't add anything outside of the VMware stack. But uh, like Britton said, there's an NSX plugin, and if you own NSX uh, and it's licensed, then you can add your NSX license into the Log Insight instance as well, and all of your NSX components can hook into your Log Insight. And I'm not positive on this, but I'm pretty sure they don't count against the 25 OSIs that the vCenter uh, Log Insight is limited to. Um, I think they're counted outside of that. Yeah, that's so, if you're if, if you don't if you haven't bought the full release of Log Insight that covers your whole environment, the the 25 is what you get for free. Yeah, 25 different uh, pieces of technology can hook into Log Insight. They call them OSIs, uh, whatever that stands for. But um, but yeah, it is a, a really cool and a very underutilized uh, benefit that everybody gets. Yes. So, so, so everybody, I would love to see some uh, hashtag vbrownbeg tweets tomorrow stating the fact that you deployed Log Insight because you heard it here first. So, um, so, so Ariel, can we start a new hashtag for that? Maybe I can't think of what that would be right now. But Britton gave me homework. <laughs> yes. Hashtag Britain gave me homework. I deployed Log Insight. Tweet that when you watch this. And by the way, deploying this is like click, click, simple. It's just an OVA. Yeah. You give it some information, and then once you got it up and running, you hook your vCenter into it, you click another button, and it goes out and configures all of your hosts to point their syslog to it. 
if you're in a situation where you're currently just offloading all of your host logs to a SAN or anything like that, this gives you not only an aggregate point that counts uh, towards putting them onto, uh, you know, storage that isn't, you know, a, a SD card or, a, you know, whatever else you got ESXi installed on, uh, but it also gives you the ability to dig into all those different pieces. And uh, if you have a GSS call, this is invaluable. So what what would GSS be able to pull out of this then? In your so experience? if you're if you're having an issue, uh, what is the first thing GSS asks you to do? Pull logs. Pull right? logs. Yeah. You already got them. So point them right to your log insight and tell them to go nuts. Yeah, that that's that that right there is worth deploying it. <laughs> hey, Britton, I'm telling the, everybody. The of- I'm telling everybody that you're gonna send them a sticker if they actually send you a picture of it. All right. If I uh, if I make stickers, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, we're getting kind of really close to be the end of this here. So, if if you're doing an NSX deployment, you know, and you've bought the product, your salesperson probably you know sold you vRealize Network Insight um, as well. Yes, and, my very awesome sales guy definitely did. Yeah, and you know, I, I you know, this this one was a new one for me. I I had you know played a little bit with with Network Insight, um, and I had not you know done a full production deployment of it. So I learned along with Aaron on this one, um, sort of how things work to get things from one place to another, and. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing an NSX deployment, it actually does benefit you to once, especially once you have your distributed virtual switch fully configured, um, to stand up Network Insight first, so that it can plug into your um, distributed virtual switch and start pulling network traffic data, because um, you want that to kind of sit in your environment for a little while and gather and learn, um, and and and. and, and and identify, you know, what's going where. Um, so Network Insight deploys in two machines, typically. Depends on how spread out your network is. And then you have to enable NetFlow on the VDS, and then there's a you enable IP fix inside of Ernie after that. Um, and then there's the, the manual kind of pieces to setting up applications inside of Ernie. And, and Aaron, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, right off the bat, I'd say the probably the, the biggest uh, hurt that Bernie lays on you is the fact that the the controller machine and the proxy machine are large. Uh, you know, 32 gig of RAM, uh, 16 CPU. Uh, they can be uh, they can be pretty big for smaller deployments. So if you have a if you have a smaller deployment, I would caution you against it. There's no way to deploy Bernie in a in a tiny or small infrastructure at this point, it's kind of one size fits all. And then, yeah. as as Britton said, uh, if you're having a large network, then you get to deploy more of those uh, nodes around your network. Yeah. So um, you know, some of the things that uh, we really kind of learned when we were deploying Bernie was uh, you know, leave it in for two weeks or more. You're you're really not going to get all the traffic information you need unless you get in uh, Bernie in for two weeks or more. Um, it does have some micro-segmentation planning. So if you're thinking about distributed firewall or micro-seg um, as the 
points for your NSX like we were, then Bernie can be a really big help there. Um, there are ways to de determine applications within inside Bernie. So you can take a look at those net flows and then you can build applications based on different dynamic parameters like VMs or um, you know containers or different things like that that you're you, that you have inside of your vSphere deployment. And then based on those applications, it will provide you with rules, firewall rules that uh, you can suck out of Bernie and then ingest into NSX. Um, and that process it needs to be a little bit better documented. Uh, Britton and I found out that uh, there are about five ways to do it. And if you talk to somebody at VMware, they will each tell you a different way. So Yeah, and it's all manual. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it's API driven. We got to know Postman pretty well, and um, if you if you're not I mean, familiar with Postman, it's pretty I, cool. I shouldn't I shouldn't say it's manual. It's it's automated manual, <laughs> but it's not it's not a a quick you know export from this click and drag import into NSX like we expected it to be. Yeah, it's it's API command line driven. Yeah. So basically, they're, they're, and that's that's by design. You know, they want to have some sort of a middleman feature um, to manage those rules crossing the threshold. Um, right. So yeah. Verney is completely read-only. Yeah. So there's nothing that Verney can do to uh, screw up your infrastructure. Um, the only thing that Verney can write out is the IP fix change, and other than that, uh, Verney does not is it, read-only. It only reads what's going on in your network. It cannot. Yep cause configuration changes. Yep. And and two, I think it's, you know, like we even saw some uh, chatty stuff from your physical network popping into Verney as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. It'll see anything that's coming into the virtualized network, whether that is um, inside your virtual stack or if it's stuff that's outside talking in or inside talking out. So it knows, you know, this VM is talking to the internet. This no, It knows that this VM is talking to something they, they put in a placeholder, other physical data center. So if you have, um, you know, non-virtualized workloads, it knows that it's talking to something out there and it puts in a placeholder, and then you just have to take a look at what the IP is, and uh, when you ingest the rules into NSX, uh, create, you know, rules around those uh, different physical workloads. Yep. So, I mean, it, it's... It, it, there, there used to be a mode that, Ver, that you know, Verney or Network Insight um, could be deployed. Even if you hadn't bought the product, there was a assessment mode that you could run it in for free. Um, I think you have to work with a partner to get that. Um, but basically, it, 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 it does this, it does some of this kind of watching your network thing in this assessment mode, and it just kind of gives you the graphical, sh you know, showcase of what it found. Um, but it doesn't actually let you do anything with it until you buy it. Um, and it does have the ability to hook into some physical uh, sections of your network if your switches are capable of the VXLAN um, tie-ins. You can use those same tie-ins to uh, kind of extend Bernie out into those spaces. Yep. So once you've kind of gotten all of that stuff done, you are basically ready to deploy NSX Manager. And, you know, like in Aaron's case, this was three or four weeks of work before we got to this point. Yeah, the first two weeks, we literally just sat in a room and talked about it and 
mapped out different things. We did not touch uh, a configuration change until week three, I want to say. Yeah, and 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 that's then that's where I would caution somebody. You know, if you're looking to, to do an NSX deployment, if somebody's coming at you and saying, "Oh, we can do this tomorrow," um, I would I would be cautious about that because, you know, it, it, I've seen things go wrong in NSX deployments where you miss one step and it literally causes production outages for certain applications because something was you know wasn't thought through, and so. You know, you can't be in a rush to deploy this thing. It it literally touches your entire network, and you just can't be willy-nilly about that. You've got to, you know, do careful planning, do your thing, do, you know, map things out, you know, to create your subnet maps and routing maps. And, I mean, I mean, we, we once you get into this, I mean, even doing some, some stuff later on, like configuring, you know, OSPF so that, your virtual networks inside can talk to your physical networks outside. I mean, that's even a whole other hoop to jump through. That yeah, that was real fun. Yeah, and so it's you know the the fun never ends you know really with NSX, <laughs> but <laughs> but once you once you know once you've gotten this far you know you're I would say you're ready to go ahead and deploy the appliance and get it you know plugged into vCenter. So that you can then, you know, prep your host, deploy controllers, enable your VXLAN, create transport zones, and you know, and then the real work begins of actually securing your environment. Um, and and it's just, you know, it, like the like 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 I apt, aptly show with three dots, it's to be it's to be continued at that point, because yeah. you know now you've got. You know, not now you not only have NSX in your environment and it's securing stuff for you, but now you've also given yourself a task annually, I would say, at the very least, to go through an upgrade path. Because um, NSX is one of these products that you have to keep it upgraded, I think. Um, because if you're, they're, they're chopping off the old versions out of support pretty quickly. And so as they keep coming out with new versions, you've got to stay on top of this thing. It's not a, an application you can deploy and, you know, set it up once and forget it for five years. Um, because if you wait that long, you're going to be in a world of hurt when you try to go to upgrade that. Um, so to be clear, so, yeah, and it has, to be clear. Go ahead, Aaron. Not a fridge. Not a fridge. No, no it's not. More like a tweeting fridge. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, and, and also it has interdependencies too, Britain. Uh, you know that uh, if you're going to be keeping up the cadence on upgrading your vSphere environment, you know your vCenter, yep. your ESI yep. host, you you have to include this in that upgrade path. Uh, if you're, you know, upgrading anything in your VMware environment, this has to be a part of it. Yep. So, do we have any other questions or or anything else pop in, Ariel? Uh, there was a lot of comments. Uh, but one question that I have is what did you guys read or what do you consider the most valuable investment in time when it comes to documentation that helped you a lot throughout your project? Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, in, in, our, in this particular deployment, I mean, the areas that we ran into trouble um, was like with the V-Shield stuff and upgrading that I know we had to do a little bit of digging on that and really there was just like you know I think there was one 
v, v blog from some VMware blogger out there who ran into some a, a similar thing with his vShield upgrade. Um, but in general, um, I can't say that there was, you know, a whole lot of resources. I mean, that the, the outside resources that we had to use, I'm not that I'm recalling, Aaron, anyways. Yeah, there was, um, I'm trying to remember where it was, but there was some NSX uh, day one, day two uh, PDFs that were posted onto one of the NSX pages on um, VMware.com that was yeah. helping me sleep for a couple of weeks before the deployment. Yep, and you know, I think I think it was it was really helpful in trying to figure out where we were going to go next, right? So the next, mm-hmm. the the question you ask yourself is every time you hit a milestone in an NSX deployment is okay, what's next? Because it always seems like you're trying to eat the elephant, and then every time you feel like you've taken a couple bites out, you see another elephant popped up behind the one you're trying to yeah. eat. Yeah, yeah, and and that's kind of the biggest problem with NSX is there's so much there. There's no way you're going to do it all right away. And so basically the, the, the biggest thing that we did was we brought the scope of the project down and we said, okay, here's what we need to do and here's our timeline to do this thing. And then once we got that done, we said, okay, check that off the list. What's next? Here it is. And here's what we're, we've given ourselves for a timeline to do that. And, yep. you know, once, you've, once you just start to knock those things down one after another after another, you find out that, Hey, we've built this environment, and now it does all these really cool things. Yeah, from from my side, what I've heard people say is uh, that the NSX design guide, which is I think available yeah. in communities, is a good read. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest too. Is there the there is the design guide? It is. I think it's updated fairly regularly as well. Um, you know, and then they cover a lot of different scenarios in the you know actual design process. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, and, and a lot, we had to, you know, not to toot my own horn too much, but I mean, a lot of this I've done enough that, you know, I was just able to kind of walk Aaron through. And this is where, if you're doing this, you know, if you're not a networking person or if you're not, you know, an NSX person specifically, you know, working with a partner who knows, who knows what they're doing is a big key to this thing not going wrong. Because um, if, if NSX goes wrong in your environment, it can go horribly wrong. Um, and there were plenty of places where, without Britain's help, I, I would have shot myself right in the foot because a lot of this stuff is not obvious. Uh, you know, we talked about a lot of the prep, the prep work that is obvious, but it's only obvious when somebody sits here and says, "Oh, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this." If if you're just left up to yourself or a small team to kind of figure this stuff out on your own, um, you're going to miss a step. And the problem with all these obvious steps is they're all also crucial. Yep. And if you miss one of these obvious steps, then you're you're gonna hit a wall eventually, and and you're gonna have a hard time rolling it back. And and that's that's the real kind of thing to to note in this whole thing is there's just no easy way to put that thing back together, or to, you know to decouple it and then put it back together. I mean it's it's so interwoven in your environment. I mean you can you can prepare a host for NSX without having to reboot the host, but if you're gonna unprepare or uninstall NSX from a host, it's a host reboot. Um, yeah, you're and, ripping VIVs out through the command line. Yeah, so it's it's not a it's just not something you want to be messing around with necessarily. Um, so, and I'm you know I, I, this is something I have to keep going through ongoing training myself with. So, I mean I'm I'm going to be attending a uh, NSX Live Fire training event at the end of the month. Um, 
for partners to learn more how to do more NSX deployments. And it's something that, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm certified, you know, on NSX, but I have to, you know, re re up my VCPs on the new versions. Um, so it's just one of the things where, you know, if you're going to be in this, in this game, you got to be all in. Um, I would say probably the couple of the best resources for learning how to do this stuff is, like I said, the Jason Nash course on Pluralsight is a start. Um, and then secondarily, go take the Install Configure Manage class from VMware. Um, that is an, an excellent course done by some really, really smart people. They, do, they, they spend a lot of the ICM class, a lot of that time is spent on um, really just managing and understanding how the VXLAN tunnel endpoint traffic in the bum traffic hand you know is walked. So there's whole modules where you do the packet walks from one host to to another host. And so they want to really make sure you understand the nitty-gritty details of you know how a packet gets from A to B in that scenario. Um, so it's 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 it's, it's one of those classes that's worth it to, to really take and go through. And I'll and I'll add something that in my case, it helped a lot. Was the VCP6 NV study guidebook by Elder Senna Sosa? Uh, that helped me a lot, and it has a lot of information. It's a really thick book, but it's chock full of good stuff. And that was the guy that did the first NSX trainings, so you know he's, yeah. he's legit. Yeah, Elder's a good guy. Yeah, and if you're uh, running anything ever, just you know, yeah, send me a tweet, or and if I don't know what it is, then I'll ask Tim Davis. So, <laughs> but uh, talking about you know getting trained and stuff. Um, Graham brought up, brought up a great point, which is DMUG Advantage has not only access to the bits so people can actually lab it at home, but there's a lot of, uh, you get some licenses, and I think you still get some preferential stuff for NSX, which considering it's $180 for being an advantage, you get a lot of good stuff with it. Yeah, you absolutely do. You should go yep. out there and buy one today. Yes. And... One last question that we got from from Mamo, uh, Testfire. Sorry if I butcher your, butcher your name. Uh, he asked, in the, if you in your particular project, did you use microsegmentation and stretch VXLAN for DR? Like, did you do the whole the whole thing, or did you start small? How are your stages? We we started this project out with the scope of we wanted to do the distributed firewall. Uh, microseg was a, a, a day two. Uh, thing for us, or you could probably call it a quarter two thing for us. Um, and so we got distributed firewall in place, and um, fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately for myself, unfortunately for the company that I work for, um, I'm actually going to be changing jobs, and the, um, um, my replacement doesn't really know uh, NSX too well, so we're hoping that Britain will um, continue on as a consultant to really help that project move forward. But, yeah. but uh, microseg is something that I, I put the skeleton in for. Um, we don't have it in production yet, uh, but I've tested it and it works. And the reason we've stopped is because of my uh, resignation with ACO. And yeah, so do you wanna say where you're going, Aaron, or not? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can say where I'm going. I'm, I'm going to a small company called VMware. Yeah. So congratulations. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> they let him in. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So Hackos yeah. put all like current projects on hold right now while we're uh, kind of spinning up 
some knowledge in, in, in uh, the next generation of, of administrators for HACO. Yep, and now I've pre-trained you on how to do these, these SE deployments for NSX, so. You bet, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much it, Ariel. Um, we, you know, I don't have really any other slides to necessarily to show, um, except to plug my podcast one more time with my good buddy, Tony Reeves. Um, and then, you know, at some point after Aaron's been at VMware for a while, he, we're going to have him on the podcast so he can tell us what it's like to be on the other end of that fire hose of information. So fire hose of the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I had a blast. We got a lot of information. We got a lot of questions. Um, if I were you, I would check Twitter. And finally, uh, thank you everybody who attended. I really appreciate it every time that we have live questions. It makes it so much more fun. Uh, you're getting props and thank you from the attendee. So pleasure having yeah. you. Thank you, Ariel. Yeah, thanks, Ariel, for hosting. It was great to see you the other day, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Yep, I am going to send that picture so I can get my sticker. There you so, go. Thank you, everybody, and I'll see you next weekend. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. next Wednesday. Take care. Yeah. Excellent. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.